the Engaging Culture podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. My name is Brian Kiley, Bridgeway's Director of Connections. Today I'm joined by special guest host Brian Hopper, who serves as Bridgeway's Young Adult Director. Brian and I will be talking about diversity within the body of Christ. There's great diversity in the ways that Christ followers approach social, political, theological, and moral issues. How can Christians engage in healthy, God-honoring debate about these issues? How can we appropriately celebrate diversity? What are the limits to diversity, and is there a point when diversity becomes unhealthy? These questions and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. Brian, how are you? I'm doing very well, Pastor Brian. How are Pastor you? Brian, this is the Pastor Brian Show times two, uh, because Lance is out on vacation. Normal co-host, Senior Pastor Lance Hahn, out on vacation, not here today, uh, so you're stepping in. Yes, but I don't play golf anywhere near as well. You don't play golf? I don't think he plays golf very well either. How unpastor-like. I know, right? Oh, Neither goodness. of us play golf. And I don't either, so I don't know what we're going to do about that. Wow. I don't know. That might be just might be disqualifying, but we're going to continue with the uh, the podcast either way. We'll see if we still have jobs when it's over, since now it's been made public. We don't play golf, but um, Lance is out. Really glad that you're with us. For those of you joining us for the first time, this is a new podcast we've created to have some honest conversations about cultural issues and current events. Lance and I started us off last week, and now here we are for round two. And to get us going today. We are going to talk about uh, diversity of thinking within the body of Christ when it comes to social, moral, and theological issues. And in the course of doing that, Brian and I are going to touch on subjects that could be called political issues. And for the most part, we're going to try to avoid framing these subjects as quote-unquote political because when we do that, we often wind up using the language of conservatism and liberalism when instead we're much better off evaluating positions on issues by how well they line up with what the scriptures tell us about God and humanity and the world and how the world works. So uh, personally, one of the great struggles of, of my life as a Christian and as a pastor in particular is figuring out how to talk about theological and moral issues without sounding political. Because when we say things are quote-unquote political, oftentimes what we really mean is partisan, so attached right. to yeah. attached to a side. And, and, a, and a conviction that I think that we both share, Brian, is that, that pastors and church leaders should not be publicly partisan. Absolutely. In other words, we should not be motivated by loyalty to a political party or ideology because uh, our loyalty must always and only be to God and his revelation of himself in scripture. Uh, however, I also believe that the body of Christ suffers when out of a desire to remain nonpartisan, which is a good and healthy and right desire, we remain silent on pressing moral, social, and theological issues. So, so I think the tension is... We need to find a way to speak prophetically about these cultural issues yes. in a way that's motivated by the teaching of our faith, uh, not by a politically partisan worldview. And I think it's important for our listeners to know that that's what we're trying to do today. We're not trying to be conservative or liberal or anything else. We're trying as best we can to faithfully interpret and apply scripture. So so what, what would you add to that? Uh, yeah, and thinking along the subject where, you know, Today, specifically, we're talking about 
unity and diversity in the body of Christ. And I think that uh, one of the interesting things in, in that subject is a lot of times when people hear that word diversity, it's, a, it's such a big buzzword in our culture, and you know, hopefully and rightfully so in the church as well, but a lot of times people hear the word diversity and their automatic default is going to go to ethnicity, it's going to go to racial, it's going to go to culture and background. And um, you know, for those of, some people may not know my history or background, but I was actually, um, I, ra- I was raised in East San Jose, which is kind of a um, kind of a, a poorer part of the town, and, and a lot of different ethnic uh, background and, and just different groups and, and people together. And so, uh, in my friend groups, particularly in high school and college, I was actually the only one in my particular groups that was uh, you know my same same race, same same culture. Um, I mean, just point of fact, growing up in high school, all of my friends, literally all of my friends, and probably a 15, 20 person friend group were all Hispanic or African American. Mm-hmm. Same thing when I got into college, a lot of my friends were, were Vietnamese or Chinese or you know had different kind of uh, uh, backgrounds. And so for me, the idea of racial, racial or cultural diversity is just the norm. And, it, and it's kind of even for the millennial generation that, that we minister to, um, you know, a lot of people refer to it as the hip-hop generation. And, and there's good reason for that because in those shows, you go to a hip-hop concert and you have people that are from all different ages, backgrounds, racial yeah. backgrounds, all listening to the same music, and, and they really just don't care. And this is not to make the... Um, the colorblind argument, which is a very loaded statement I won't get into today, <laughs> yeah. uh, but God created color and diversity for a reason. I'll just drop that one for free. But um, <laughs> so for me, you know, having a, a very uh, a varied racial and ethnic background, I never thought of diversity in that way. But um, a, a really great quote I came across just this last week is by Dr. Samuel Chand, who is a leadership consultant to both secular and sacred business and, and church leaders. A lot of the folks would uh, potentially know of some of the church organizations. He's worked with Hillsong Church and Life Church with Pastor Greg Groeschel and many others. He had this quote that he was talking about diversity. And, um, he, and he's an Indian-American man, and he said, a lot of times when people talk about diversity, they look at someone like me. And they say, we need more color. We need more color. We need to change our, our ethnic or our racial group. But the point that he made was that you could actually have, for example, on your church board, a group of people that were all different in ethnicity or race, but they're all still the same in their viewpoints and in their beliefs. And so diversity, this is kind of his quote, is actually more about being diverse in what you see different viewpoints, different worldviews. And I think that's kind of the, the focus of our chat today is how we look at Christianity, how we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ who have different viewpoints or different worldviews, but they're also Christians as well. Right. And to, to really key in on that fact. To, to key in on that, that there is, we're united by perhaps some common, theolo- well, not even perhaps, we're united by some common theological convictions and, and things to that effect, but that within that unity, there is diversity, yep. that there's difference, that right. things are different. So um, we have had, you and I have had several great conversations this week kind of leading up to the episode uh, in preparation for this about a wide range of, of social and moral and theological issues and different ways that Christians can can approach them. And it's been really fun. We found a lot of areas of agreement, things where we maybe might nuance things a little bit differently, but in generally agree. Uh, we found some issues that maybe we don't agree on and we see things a little bit differently. And that's uh, great. That's just fine. Uh, as well. And and we've also found uh, that as you and I have sought to be, again, faithful followers of Christ, imperfect, obviously, but but trying to be faithful to, to who God has called us to be, 
uh, we have kind of landed in our positioning on different cultural issues in, in ways that some would call, quote-unquote, conservative, and then on some other issues in ways that some would call, quote-unquote, uh, liberal. And, I, and again, I said I don't want to frame right, this politically, totally. but I just think that's just that's the way the world often does. So, so, so we'll start there. Um, I think it'd be interesting at this point of the episode for each of us to share a little bit of our personal story of how we've learned to think through social uh, and moral issues and how we've seen these sorts of issues handled within the Christian communities that we've grown up in and, and the Christian communities we've been a part of. So Brian, why don't you share a little bit of your story of wrestling with, with some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of the, the coolest things that we were we were talking before. Um, my background, having grown up in, in terms of faith as a, as a young kid, I was raised in a Baptist church. I went to a Baptist private school up until, the, uh, until seventh grade and junior high, which I then went to the worst junior high in East San Jose. So it's a really fun uh, story for another time. About bit of the, a culture shock Yeah, there. just just a little bit. But um, kind of that whole, you know, born in 1983, uh, the top end of the millennial generation. And I would, I would categorize it as the quintessential focus on the family, Dr. Dobson, <laughs> McGee and me upbringing. Right. And so, um, the, the way that I was taught and, and by very good people, you know, my parents are awesome and uh, church community and even the culture growing up around kind of the private school and, and, um, you know, Christian bookstores, stuff like Bereans. I mean, that was a thing. Some people don't know what I'm talking about, but, uh, Bereans. And I remember Bereans. Bereans. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you put the little Toby Mac cassette tapes in and. I don't yeah. remember that well, but yeah. I do remember the stores existing. That was the only way I got to listen to hip hop officially <laughs> was, it was, was to Toby sneak Mac. in the Christian, yeah, rap, uh, tapes. But, um. When I grew up and then I began to work in corporate America, I, I took a job at a Fortune 500 staffing firm. And so I was working with corporate professional people, and um, I really had a moment of, of culture shock and cognitive dissonance almost taking place where I began to encounter people who had various uh, beliefs and, and viewpoints that I didn't expect. So a couple of examples, um, you know, just based on some of their different political parties, which I won't mention, but certain people who I would have thought, based on beliefs that they, they expressed to me, would be kind and sympathetic people were actually really harsh and angry. And then another person who sat next to me who was potentially of a, you know, belief of a different political party or certain issues that I would have thought not to be was really sweet and sensitive and just a kind, nice person. So that was, that was one, um, I remember a very specific uh, conversation I had with a guy who was funny. His name was also Brian. Uh, but great name. Yeah, it is a great name. Uh, a gentleman, uh, you know, who was is living a gay lifestyle. He was a coworker of mine. And uh, we spoke for a little while. And in course of conversation, he actually expressed what would be considered a strongly pro-life view. And I had no context for that based on the way I was raised and kind of that, um, you know, again, the focus on the family, Dr. Dobson, sort of evangelical Colorado Springs uh, culture. Uh, I had no idea that someone who was living that lifestyle and, and, you know, potentially not a Christian based on our conversations, I I couldn't ascertain that he was, yet was staunchly pro-life and protective of, of the unborn. And so just in those experiences being out there that there are people who have different beliefs and they don't fit into the boxes that my church culture raised me with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that raises such an important point that, that oftentimes, and I don't know if it's just kind of some intellectual laziness on our part, that it's just easier to categorize people than to understand people as complex beings. But, but it shows sort of the weakness of trying to place people into these nice, clean, Categories, and that also to me shows that that when when you treat people uh, that 
that have certain, I mean, certain characteristics, whether it's race, whether it's creed, whether it's sexual orientation or whatever, when you treat them as an issue, it's mm. easy to be very uh, uncharitable in your assessment of them, right? But when you personalize it, when it's like, this isn't just, I'm not thinking about people of this race or people of this sexual orientation. I'm thinking about my neighbor. I'm thinking about the person next to me in the office. Yep. All of a sudden that changes our perspective. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Or Absolutely. Would you? Because they're people. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and people come from different experiences and they come from different backgrounds and it would be, it'd be intellectually lazy, but also just spiritually kind of bankrupt mm-hmm. for us to label them yeah. and to group them rather than do what Jesus did, which is reach out to people. And I remember I, I had a conversation with one of our young adults not too long ago and, and a very fired up individual and wanting to, you know, kind of uh, get more fire in, in, in some newer <laughs> believers who'd just been saved, which is good. We yeah. appreciate that. But sure. I made the point to him, you know, Jesus reached everyone where they were. Yeah. He met Zacchaeus from the tree and went to his home. Yeah. And he met the woman at the well where she was. Yeah. And so while the Lord wants us obviously to all grow, he met people where they are. And you cannot classify them by an issue or by a background or by an experience. They're individual. Each one is unique. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's interesting how, I mean, I think you obviously were raised in a particular lane, mm-hmm. as, and then it's almost like you, you got exp- fall under the and banner. And they intersect. And they, that yeah. was... I was just going to say, dovetailing off that, that was the interesting thing because you're still sort of aware, like, okay, there's this lane and they believe this way and there's this lane and they believe this way. And then even to our joke about then they vote this way, whatever. But then understanding that much like the freeway system, they do intersect. And there are people out there who they have drops in different buckets. Yeah. And you can't just pick up one bucket and say, they're part of this bucket, so I will respond to them this way. I will think of them this way. Uh, I will talk or social media post. Which is right. super helpful, guys. Yeah, uh, I'm changing my profile picture. I'm helping, but you're really not. Um, sorry, but to understand that they're individuals, right? And they have varied experiences, yeah. which which really do blend together. And so, how do we address that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a great question. We'll get the, get more to that a little bit. I think my my own experience uh, was interesting in that I was I was raised. Uh, I mean, my family was awesome. Love my parents. They're fantastic. Um, you know, still very close with them to this day. And doing the right thing, uh, just morality was important, raised to kind of, you know, good manners, right, wrong, you know, this and that. Uh, so then when, when I began to, began to take my relationship with the Lord seriously in high school, uh, I was super legalistic guy uh, that was all about, you know, we need to do right and we need to be against things that are wrong. In fact, I'm so embarrassed to admit this. But so, uh, so fun fact about me, I, not, I'm not embarrassed about this part. Fun fact about me, uh, I've worked on the newspaper staff of every school I attended from junior high through graduate school. Like I, I love, that was just a big part of my life growing up. I actually wrote a column in my high school newspaper. I don't know why I'm using this example because I am so embarrassed about it. But I think the headline was something like morals of high school students on a frightening downward spiral or just something <laughs> ridiculous like that. Much like like who, who are you possibly going to reach with, with a, a headline like that? I yeah. don't know. But that's sort of who I was. And I thought that to be a Christian meant that you're really like hardcore about stuff and the idea of like loving others and being grace, gracious towards others who or maybe different was was really not a part of 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 who I was, and I, you know I don't know. I think I may be remembering myself. I hope as being a little bit more of a jerk than I actually was. But uh, it was interesting then, though, as I started studying scripture more for myself, as I started kind of coming into college, and I started to think through, okay, how does my faith affect the way that I think about different 
issues. I mean, certainly voting was a part of that, but, but more importantly, I think different issues. Like I remember being in college and I lived in, this is a real thing. I was in a Christian fraternity. So I lived with a bunch of other Christian dudes. We were in a fraternity at UCLA. And I remember, uh, I mean, I, I freely admit I carry this, I think I carried this conviction early in my life, but it certainly has been buttressed by my, my faith. This idea of, of Christians ought to at least be suspicious of violence and the use of violence and the use mm. of force and things of that nature. So this was right around the time that the Iraq war was starting. And I remember it was sort of funny being at a large public school where most everybody was against the war. Uh, here I am living in a house full of other believers and I'm the weirdo. Uh, they teased me and joked uh, that I was hiding Saddam Hussein under my bed or something like that, that I was the one who I was like, I don't think this is I, like I was against the war, not from any political standpoint, right. but, but from, from a pretty intense belief in uh, nonviolence and that, that this is not the way forward and this is not something that Christ followers uh, should support. Now, again, I, I recognize, again, I was the only one in the place out of 35 Christian dudes who believe that. So I recognize I'm, you know, I'm different in that regard. But uh, I think then even after college, you know, working in an environment that um, was very sort of uh, pro-military, very kind of, you know, conservative politically and things like that. And, and, and I always sort of wrestled in high school and even into my first job as a pastor. I'm like, do I really fit in this environment? Because it just seems like as I study the scriptures, this doesn't really line up with the thought patterns I'm seeing around me. And then what was so interesting was I, I went to seminary mostly as a commuter student. I was living in Oceanside, commuting to Pasadena for school, but was pastoring down in Oceanside. My last year of seminary, I lived in the seminary community, lived among seminary students, uh, was kind of a part of that intellectual, spiritual environment. And it was so unbelievably refreshing to be around people who are very diverse in their thinking. I don't, I don't mean to suggest that they're homogenous at all. In fact, one thing I love about my seminary is you've, I found every flavor of Christian you could imagine. It's an incredibly diverse place, which was fantastic. Really was helpful for someone like me in figuring out, okay, what do I really think versus what do I not? And, and I just found that environment so refreshing because it was a place where people took the scripture seriously, where people evaluated their positions on moral issues, not based on political party. I don't think I had a single conversation about politics or political parties in that year, but had so many conversations about racial reconciliation Mm -hmm. and abortion and capital Mm -hmm. punishment and, and war and healthcare and all of that stuff from, and again, did we all agree? No. And, and, and was it all, uh, again, well, we didn't agree. So it's not like not to say that the issues necessarily became clear, but I loved that environment. And that has really stayed with me as I've been in different environments since then, just to say, okay, that's the person I want to be. That's who I want to teach my kids to be. That's who I want to teach our congregation to be someone who is not afraid to evaluate issues based on what the scriptures would tell us. And, is you know is loving to everybody across the spectrum of of kind of whatever spectrums you want to talk about but that is not loyal to any perspective so much so that we would not be formed by what the scriptures say yeah absolutely so, yeah uh, any any thoughts on that uh, just a quick one um i think it's it's incredibly boring of a lifestyle and to only be around people who think exactly the way you think who believe right. exactly the way you believe and who live exactly the way you live I don't see that in scripture that we are to 
cluster in little Christian communities and be a, be homogenous is a great word that you used in, in our in our day to day life in our relationships in our connections. Now, obviously, you do want a, a close circle of people and family and certain believers who build you up or they're there for you when you're having a tough time. And obviously, they are they're headed the same way you are and they they are going after the same goals for sure. But the idea that we would never interact with someone who I, I'm just going to be kind of blunt here, has a different political party view than you, has a different uh, theological take on certain things than you, who has a, a different cultural or ethnic background than you. I mean, what an incredibly bland life when God is a creator of diversity, when God made so many different, even the creation account, different animals and different people and different race groups. I mean, this is intentional, by the way. Right. God does nothing without intention. Yeah. And so it is his intention that there is diversity. And um, just, you know, even as the Bible says, as so as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. If you're, if you're newer in your faith or you're uncertain about certain things, then I suppose there's a healthy... Um, thought that you you kind of get built up and you learn and you grow in that and you don't dabble too soon, I suppose. But once we become to a certain maturity in place, it is actually healthy for us as believers, as Christ followers, to then interact with people who might think differently or who might believe differently so that we can ponder what it is Hello, the people in the world that we're supposed to reach. I have yeah. a big heart for evangelism, and people sure. around here know this. But if we don't ever interact with the world, how are we supposed to then love the world and then show the world who Jesus is and bring them to him if we never talk to them? Right. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And and I want to ask you that. I think that that there are, are lots of, of people who, who would affirm what you just said, the mm-hmm. value in diversity, the value of interacting with people that think differently than you. Cer- certainly, I feel that way, and, and kind of the, um, you, you know, I, I always want to be growing in my own willing willingness to engage with people who think differently than I do, and, and I'm not really afraid of that. But, but I do think that culturally today, there is some fear of diversity, that it's mm-hmm. almost like we have to, and, and we're talking intellectual diversity, sure. that, or, or even theological, that we need to kind of be in our, our camp and that anybody who thinks differently, that there needs to be some relational awkwardness there, or that needs to be perceived as a threat, or even that I need to break off relationship or go to a different church or just something, you know, take these drastic measures because of a diversity in thinking. Why do you think there, why do you think that level of fear exists? Um, I think it is a challenging of of fast held beliefs. I think when you come into contact with someone who has, we'll take theological, we'll stay in that lane for a minute. But even at Bridgeway, we are scripture soaked and spirit led. And that's our whole joke is we have conservative people, we have charismatic people, and we have the both the blend. Right. Um, I think that there is a, um, there's just a natural desire to stay comfortable and when you engage with someone else who, who believes differently or feels differently or, more importantly, you recognize a truth, they give you their experience and, and the Spirit of God who reveals all truth, you know, yeah, something they're saying here, like it doesn't jive with my worldview. It's not part of my experience. But I know that what they're saying is true. It's mm-hmm. it's a facet of life I've not seen. Um, it's, a, it's an experience with the police that I've never had. Yeah. But I'm recognizing truth in it. That messes us up because we don't have that context. And right. so now we have to wrestle with the idea that our normal 9 to 5, go to work, kiss the kids, post on Facebook, and our little clean bubble life is only for us. Yeah. Like there are other people out there who do not have that experience. And so I think that could be part of it is – we, we, as you said, we affirm diversity, we affirm um, differences and wanting to engage, but the reason it doesn't happen mm-hmm. is because if you recognize truth in something someone else has going on in their life that you don't, then it begs the question, well, what's not true in my life? 
Yeah. What have I set up around myself or even environment influences? We talked about this a little bit before. Like, where does your worldview come from? Yeah. How much is the Bible? How much is social media? How much is whatever particular news outlet you choose to listen to? How much of it is upbringing and family that's not necessarily gospel? It might be good, but it's not Jesus. Totally. Yeah. And oh, man, we, we got to move on to other stuff. Yes, but it's, yes, uh, yes, some, yes, something yes. I want to say. More some, to come. Something I want to say about that that's so important is that this is one of many areas where I think this this concept of identity that that Christians have is so important because it gives you the freedom to change your mind. If my identity is in my position on an issue, I can't change my mind. I can't. I can't. The level of cognitive dissonance is going to be too high. I can't change my mind because I am sacrificing something that is core to who I am. But instead, if I say, no, 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 my identity is I'm a child of God, seeking to serve him faithfully, seeking to recognize uh, who he has called me to be, then if I am presented with evidence that causes me to change my mind on an issue, I can do it. And I can say, you know what? I was wrong on this and Mm -hmm. I'm growing and that's okay. Uh, that doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me a curious person. It makes me a person willing to change. And it in no way affects who God says I am or the way that God feels about me. So identity is just absolutely, absolutely critical. So next question I want to I want to get to, though, is uh, that I think this will be interesting to, to discuss, is, is to what extent should we simply accept diversity of thought within Christian circles? And, and to what extent should we be engaging in healthy debate around these sorts of issues? Yeah. Um, I think with that one, where we should, where we should debate, because obviously the, the, the premise of the question is there's diversity. We engage with diversity, different beliefs, different viewpoints, and we know that those may or may not be correct theologically, right? right? So how do we engage with that? How do we welcome, how do we have the open arms, open arms, open heart, open, open life? Um, I think the, the point of debating or discussing is when there can be a positive change, something positive will come out of the conversation. And I think we've all had those conversations where we know it's not. Right. Like nothing good is going to come from this. They are not budging. I am not budging. It's just, we're just beating our head against the wall. Right. Uh, like too what's much, the point of that exactly, conversation? Exactly. Too much in the point. body of Christ today, frankly. Right. But so if there's a positive change that's available, then we should engage. And right. we see that, that this is an open dialogue and we're talking together. Yeah. Um, if it becomes a simple simple argument and there's just no give and take, then it, I think it's just best to leave it be. And here's here's my other thought, just a quick one on that, is major on the majors. Yeah. Like, if you feel like there is healthy debate to be gained or, or, or rationale to be had upon the resurrection was real, Jesus yeah. Christ is the Son of God, um, you know, to just... That's that's important. Right. <laughs> a theological issue that's secondary of do I lift my hands or do I not lift my hands in the praise and worship? Am I demonstrative or am I still not important, guys? Like not, let's not, just not just important. not sit and waste and spin our wheels yeah. on that kind of a debate. Yeah, no, I agree. I also think that that if if as Christ followers we're gonna discuss political issues, moral issues, whatever. I, I really strongly believe those conversations need to take place in an environment where there is a, uh, first of all, just an umbrella of, of unity and Christian brotherhood and sisterhood that we recognize, hey, we're Christ followers, and that unites us more than anything else would ever divide us. Uh, and I also think that those conversations need to take place where there's some relational capital involved. In other words, in the context of, of friendship, some of the most invigorating and interesting conversations I've had in my life, to be honest with you, are with sharp, intelligent friends who might not see eye to eye with me on a particular issue, and we can discuss it in a respectful, I mean, man, 
super passionate. So I'm not saying we're soft on what we think, but, but super pas- passionate uh, manner, but in a way that is constructive and helpful and, and, and willing to learn. You know, I, I, It's not like we're just shouting talking points at one another and, and unwilling to listen. And, and so I think we have to be able to do that. And then I also think our first move has to be coexistence. And, and, and more than that, lo- love towards others, that, that we should not be seeking to change others or convert them to our point of view first, that our first move has to be, I love you as my brother or my sister in Christ. And then, hey, as our relationship grows and we find we think differently on different things, uh, we can talk about that. And we can talk about that uh, in a healthy and mutually uh, affirming, well, not necessarily affirming, but in, just in a way that builds the relationship and is, and is honest. I also think that within our debates about issues, we need to be honest about uh, our loyalties and our motivations. Like Absolutely. what is yeah. what is causing me to think the way that I do? Is it because I'm seeking some sort of label of, of a certain sort of, you know, type of thinking? Or is it because I'm seeking to uh, faithfully live out who Jesus has called me to be? Am I being, or here's another example, am I being motivated by fear? Mm-hmm. Fear sells, right? Like if I had no morals and was about to start a new show, I would just do nothing but make people afraid all the time. <laughs> you know, right? Because fear motivates significantly. Yeah. Um, so am I being motivated by fear or am I being motivated by my loyalty to God who says do not fear? Right. Uh, we have to be uh, careful about those things if we're going to engage in, in debate about secondary issues. And I think your point about majoring on the majors is critical. Like there are points where uh, we're going to talk about limits to diversity in just mm-hmm. a second, but... We should not be dividing over secondary issues. My, uh, my brother in Christ, who, is, who views a social issue differently than I do, yes. there ought to be a stronger sense of unity with him than with somebody who does not yet know Christ, but who shares my view on that issue, right? Would you agree with that? I would agree. I have much to say, but I will button my lip for fear of rabid emails. <laughs> fear of rabid emails. No, no. Oh, um, man. And just Go a ahead. quick key off, uh, off of that. Um, we're given a call in Scripture to present the truth with love. Yeah. And I think that a, an issue in our country today, an issue it, just in people today, and certainly in the social media climate that we all live in, but even um, in the body of Christ— is there is such a major focus on truth, which will never leave. It's correct. It's right. Right. It's good. This is truth. But I I often think of the famous Black Eyed Peas song, Where's the Love? Where is the Ah, love? Uh, I heard a a pastor say once that the truth without love is dangerous, and love without the truth is belligerent stupidity. The truth without love is dangerous. See, and that reminds me of the Dallas Willard quote, one of the hardest things to do is to be, is to be right and to not hurt people with it, or to know the truth and not hurt people with it. Well, I mean, how, when you say it's dangerous, what, how, what do you mean by that? Because if you take away the grace factor, I mean, you can, you can hit people with the truth, and you can be right, yeah. but still be completely wrong yeah. in your approach. Because even the, the biblical example we're given for confrontation of an issue, if you find that there's an issue, you go to your brother, and if you, you tell them and you've won your brother, then you've done the right thing. Yeah. What's the point of it but based on Matthew 18? It's not uh, go to your brother or your sister and really make them see how wrong they are. No, exactly. why? What's it for? For the purpose of reconciliation. And redeeming. Right? That's, yeah. the, that's the goal. So I think that if we were to operate with that in mind, that it is the truth 
and love. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the, kind of the second, the funny part of that quote is that if it's all love and just all acceptance, and which I think kind of segues perfectly into where we're about to go, but it's just all love and all acceptance and all wonderful rah-rah, like that's not necessarily healthy either because then if you just abandon all truth, then we, we can be at a moral loss. We can be culturally, we're going to lose so many things. And right. I think that's kind of what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Certainly uh, to, to abandon all conviction for the sake of unity is, is dangerous in many ways in, in, in no small part because it's a false unity. We're yep. essentially united around nothing. Right. But yes. um, there are limits to diversity mm-hmm. limits at a point in which we have to say, okay, this is, this is what our faith is and this is what it's not. And, and to get us started on this topic, I want to reference, there was a, um, a really fascinating column in the New York Times around Christmas time in December. Uh, Nicholas Kristof is one of their columnists. I'm a big fan of his. I read him very frequently. And he had a conversation with probably my favorite author, Timothy Keller, who pastors uh, a large church in New York. And the title of the interview uh, that appeared in the New York Times Sunday Review was, Am I a Christian, Pastor Timothy Keller? And they, they talked about, and, and Nicholas Kristof basically says, hey, I'm a guy who admires Jesus. I, I, I love what he has to say in the Sermon on the Mount. I try to follow that as best I can. I have doubts about the miracles, about the virgin birth, the resurrection, things like that. And, and this is what he said. He said, uh, he said, I deeply admire Jesus and his message, but I'm also skeptical of themes that have been integral to Christianity, the virgin birth, the resurrection, the miracles, and so on. Since this is the Christmas season, let's start with the virgin birth. Is that an essential belief or can I mix and match? And to frame that question in sort of the language we're using today, is there room under the banner of Orthodox Christianity for diversity when it comes to something like the virgin birth, like the resurrection? That, I would suggest, is fundamentally different than diversity about a number of the issues that we've kind of barely touched on today. And I think what Pastor Tim, Pastor Timothy, Pastor Keller, however he would prefer to be called, what he says is so important. He says, if something is truly integral to a body of thought, you can't remove it without destabilizing the whole thing. A religion can't be whatever we desire it to be, which I would suggest those who would say all paths lead to God. That is creating a religion, right? You know, in our yeah, own image, so, totally. so to speak. He, and he gives this example. He says, if I'm a member of the board of Greenpeace and I come out and say climate change is a hoax, they will ask me to resign. I could call them narrow-minded, but they would rightly say that they ha- that they there have to be some boundaries for dissent, or you couldn't have a cohesive, integrated organization. And they'd be right. It's the same way with any religious faith. In other words, he's saying. I'm, we're not saying you can't be on the board of Greenpeace because we're narrow-minded. We're saying this is what we believe. And if you don't believe it, that doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you're not a part of us who believe this thing. And that when it comes to Christian diversity, that the virgin birth is an integral part of our faith, that the resurrection is absolutely an integral part of our faith. So, so to say to somebody who, is, who would deny those things, to say, well, no, you're, you're outside the, the bounds of what we would call Christianity, that's not unloving. That's just allowing Christianity to be a cohesive, integrated worldview. You have to have those boundaries uh, for dissent, uh, which is different than internal diversity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And that kind of speaks to the whole question of what are the limits of diversity um, when there is a place where you have to take a stand for absolute truth. And as much as we've spent kind of the first half of this episode saying there are many things out there that might not necessarily be absolute truth because they're more political or they're more sociological or whatever. Sure. And and also, by the way, where did you get that? But um, <laughs> Side topic. But when there are things, this is the counterpoint, when there is absolute truth that we have to stand for it, you can't waver on it. You know, yeah. some of the things you mentioned, I, I would throw in there, and I think this is probably universal for most Christians, and I know you and I, children are precious right. and they are to be protected. Yeah. And there's a whole host of issues from trafficking to pro-life to what that looks like and, and adoption and the whole thing. But if you were to, you know, to waver on that, that's an issue where we can have different approaches, Mm -hmm. but that is an absolute truth. Children Mm -hmm. are precious. Mm -hmm. They're to be protected. And so someone who would disagree and be flippant about that or callous about the loss of life of children, whether it be in war or whether it be through, through other circumstances. um, See, I think that I obviously completely agree. And, and, and yeah, across the board, children are precious. I think that's an interesting example, though, because I think, and you even mentioned it, mm-hmm. we could vary in our approaches. I could imagine, yeah, well done. I could imagine two people on the opposite sides of, say, uh, a, I mean, a, a health care mm-hmm. debate right. or opposite sides of a, of a vouchers for early childhood education right. debate, mm-hmm. both claiming that same value and yet coming to opposite positions. Right which is sort of bizarre. But Absolutely. Anyway, give, give a couple other examples. Of, no, of um, Jesus is the son of God. I mean, obviously, Jesus is not just a good guy. He's not just philosophy. He's not just mythology. He's not just history, but reality and a person and deity, the son of God, actually God who came and paid the price for our sin and rose from the grave, you know, canceling out the, the requirement of the law. Um, if you don't believe that, then we love you. We don't think we're better than you. But that would be outside the bounds of faith. Right. Um, uh, the idea that humanity is not good and we mm-hmm. are lost without God. We can do good works and there can be nice people who may even live moral lives. But their overall spiritual standing and the reality in time, space, history, and beyond is that we're not good. Right. We're not. Right. And so outside of the redemptive work of Christ... We got nothing. Yeah. And that, again, goes back to the identity piece I raised earlier. If yep. your identity is, okay, I'm made right through Christ, then I can look at myself and say, yeah, I'm not good. And that right. doesn't wreck me. But I know the one who has made, who has put me back together in spite of my not goodness. Yeah. Without that, this recognition of our own brokenness is, is very difficult to do. Yeah. But but you're right. I mean, those are, those are issues where... That's not diversity to think differently on those things. And we, we get into sort of an interfaith as opposed to intra within the same mm-hmm. faith. It's more of an interfaith dialogue at, at that point. So um, final question or final kind of subject for today is as, as our listeners and as members of Bridgeway and others who, who might be listening, what are some principles that we can use to guide the way we think through social and moral issues, and then the way we maybe approach those within the body of Christ who, who think differently than we do? Yeah, and this is actually what I'm most excited about. It's all been good. But this was really what kind of caught my heart as we talked about what this this episode would be. Um, The principle that we can take away when we think through these issues and how we approach them is to use grace. We need to use grace as Christians. And the big thing that I would want to get across today for those that are watching is understand there are different types of Christians. Not everybody thinks and believes the same thing that you might listening mm-hmm. to this or that I might, or that you might speaking here yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and I want to kind of make a point here, if I might, since I'm on today as a young adults director and, <laughs> and dealing with the millennial generation, you guys need to understand the younger generation is changing. And yeah. we talk so much about wanting to reach them and plug them in, have them grafted into the family of faith. And I mean, amen, they are the future of the church, not just in the future, but now they right. already are. And you need to understand that there, there are so many complex viewpoints within that generation. Yeah. And I will... Um, you know, just to, we were talking uh, beforehand to give you an example of myself, you would be hard pressed to classify me yeah. because there would be certain political issues that I believe in, uh, whether it's healthcare or immigration or, or um, different things that would be considered liberal. And there's other, there's other political issues that I would be considered conservative on. Right. And I don't fit into any of your boxes. Right. And, and They're not my boxes. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm talking to you. Um, but, and, but, and honestly, that is the, the message, if I could say that, of this millennial generation is we don't fit into any of your boxes. Yet we, as, as the fathers and mothers in the faith, we need to fit them yeah. into the faith. Yeah. And into the church. Now, again, we've talked about this where we're, you know, we're not going to agree with certain things that are not true or doctrinally false or, you know, uh, come alongside viewpoints that are outside of Scripture. But just understanding that um, there, there are so many different types of Christians. Yeah. And they are Christians. They are saved. They, yeah. they believe in their heart and they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, as Romans says. And, and so they're saved. And yeah. whether they have a different political viewpoint than you on some issues or whether they um they approach their worship differently or they approach serving differently um man we need to understand that that they are christians too yeah and use grace and and, and use grace and and i i love that because the fact that i think that oftentimes in our culture the the extremes get have the loudest voices right so because of that we can make it look like so many issues, so many, even, even worldviews are very black and white. And it's because those who are kind of hardcore on either side are often the loudest. The fact of the matter is we're complex people who have complex belief systems and who, who come to our conclusions through complex processes. I mean, something that, that, that Pastor Lance used to tease me about a long time ago, and now he doesn't tease me anymore because I just own it. It's who I am. He says that I qualify everything that I say. That before I'm going to say something, I give like two or three qualifiers to it. And and the reason I do that is I've kind of come to the point where, uh, you know, or I guess I was trying to just reflect on, okay, what, what is going on in me that causes me to do that? And there may be some insecurity or something in there, but ultimately what I think it is, is that I have a extremely high appreciation for nuance. That, that issues are complicated. And the last thing I want to do is come across as somebody who is just some blowhard who's like, I've got my conclusion, don't bother me with your evidence kind of thing. Like, I want to be able to show that I've thought through perhaps some objections to what I'm about to say, or I've thought through a different perspective. And, and I think that for, for all of us, I mean, now, now I'll take this thing I get made fun of for and use it as a positive example. I think that's so important to have some nuance to try to really think through issues and not be so set on belonging to an ideology or belonging to a, mm -hmm. to a camp or, or, or following a particular personality or, or anything or being sort of co-opted for some sort of agenda that we lose the ability, uh, lose the ability to think with nuance. And I, and I think one other principle that we can use uh, as we approach diversity is, as I've long thought this, and I'll be interested to get your take on this. I don't think you really know what you believe until you can make a compelling case against it. Absolutely. Like if you can't, 
Like I am, you know, I am 100%, you know, pro-life. I mean, I believe mm-hmm. pro-life means a lot more than abortion, but, but totally. in terms of abortion, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm man, absolutely, you know, pro-life in that want to see there be zero abortions and want to see, you know, pregnant women cared for yeah. so, that, so that that's not necessary. Right. Right. Um, but I think I could make a pretty good case for a pro-choice position, which I do not believe at all. No. Right. I remember once in, in seminary, we had to give up like a persuasive speech in like an early communications class. And I just thought, I'm just going to have some fun with this. And I gave a speech about uh, why steroids should be legal in sports, which I do not believe at all. Uh, completely against it. They I don't were think, more fun. They, well, yeah, it would be more fun. Kidding. <laughs> I don't think the people in the class ever, I never let on that I didn't actually believe what I was saying. Uh, but I think I made a pretty good case. And I think yeah. that's a helpful intellectual, theological exercise, it also can increase our empathy. And frankly, I think that in many ways, looking at good arguments for for things you don't believe in, one of two things will happen. It'll either change your mind, which if you were wrong, your mind needs to be changed, or it will help, it'll strengthen what you yes. already believe, right? You'll mm-hmm. see this is really who I am, uh, and and then you'll be able to understand those who would think differently and perhaps speak more lovingly more persuasively to those uh, to those who disagree with you, and then uh, the last two things I'll say that I think are important principles is is number one, uh, we have to define people in terms that they accept, right? Um, if you get your definition of what a conservative is from Rachel Maddow, you don't understand conservatives. If you get your view of what a liberal is from Sean Hannity, you don't understand liberals because they are not speaking truthfully and charitably, right? So if you and I are going to be different on an issue. I need to be able to define your thinking in a way that you would say, yeah, that's an accurate representation of who I am. Now, I might still disagree with what you have to say, Mm -hmm. but at least I'm defining you accurately. And there's too much of that, right? There's too much, you know, oh, well, they all think this and they all think that. And, you know, people on the other side are like, no, that's actually not who we are at all. And then final thought, and then, you know, invite you to have the, the kind of the last word here is just asking the question, are we seeking to win arguments or are we seeking to win people? Yeah. Jesus sought to win people. Yeah. The only people he criticized were those who <laughs> mm-hmm. cared more about religion and rules than about people. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, and you, you referenced this earlier, I can be truthful and wrong, right? I can be right in what I'm saying, and I'm wrong in my approach such that I'm alienating people. Yeah. And I think that propensity exists within all of us, and we just have to be mindful of, am I seeking to win a person to help them grow in Christ, or do I just want to win an argument and I don't really care who I alienate in the process? Um, I mean, that's super destructive. I mean, have you seen that, or would you agree? Absolutely. Or no, absolutely. Thoughts back um, on that? To kind of tie it all into one, uh, you know, the first part, yeah, we absolutely need to engage with people who think differently and believe differently than us. And as you said, it, it strengthens your position, or if you fall away from it, I would dare suggest you didn't have true faith to begin with. Mm-hmm. I'll just make a bold statement there, <laughs> that if the argument on a political talk show or, or anything else, you know, you, you actually engage with a different viewpoint and you lose your faith, I don't know that you ever met Jesus. Right. Personally. Yeah. That would be my thought. uh, Uh, There is a a quote that I like from a a pastor and a a Bible college guy and a a leadership trainer. His name's uh, Frank DiMazio. And he he made this statement, and it was related to leadership training, but I would say that as we grow in our faith and we go from milk to meat and we get to a certain maturity level, this probably applies to everybody. But again, speaking specifically to leaders, but if you cannot be questioned as a leader, you don't deserve to be one. 
if you if people cannot come to you and ask you a question not only about a program or a procedure but even a thought or a faith or why yeah. you said this or that um, again we don't defend ourselves from all critics because some people just want to whine just particularly hurt, millennials hurt yeah. love you guys but <laughs> but if it's a legit question like you have to be able to then answer that question. Yeah. And there's scripture for that, to be prepared and study and be able to give an account and give an answer. Sure. Um, so if we just want to draw within with the people who believe the same and feel the same and not ever address everybody else out there, then we're missing out and yeah. we're not strengthened, nor are we reaching out. And that's kind of, I think, the, the last point that I would make. Um, it's a big world. Yep. We're called to reach it. Yep. And... The way that we're going to reach it is by reaching out. That does not, to kind of sum up, shake our core convictions. We know who we are. We've been, we've been saved and, and set free in Jesus, and we walk according to the word and according to truth and in fellowship with our church, our local church community, and the wider church body. Um, but our mission and our call is actually to reach out. It is to reach out to the world around us and not to be surprised when non-Christians don't act like Christians. Right. And not to be surprised when non-believers don't believe what believers believe, but to actually have, and this is a big passion point of mine, um, what we talk about in, in BYA all the time, is that we are people who are about other people. Yep. And if you're about other people, then you need to be able to reach out and conversate and relate to and engage with people who are different than you. Amen. Well said. Well, hey, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, Brian, for the time. Appreciate you uh, being a part of the uh, being a part of the show today. Um, we will be back next time. Pastor Lance will be back from vacation. He will. We will not be recording live because the first week of July is a holiday. We will be uh, recording next week, but that episode will be available on Wednesday, July fifth. Thank you again for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.